0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome in. It's a Tuesday morning and we're glad to have you joining us for Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Bean. That would be me and uh, proud to have you aboard. Uh, this is Tony Bean, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brasier campus of North Greenville University where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I also serve as director of public policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm the interim pastor over at Five Forks Baptist Church in Simpsonville. Join us every morning, 1030 for worship. We have a great time. It's a good church, good fellowship, and uh, the preaching is okay. So just uh, stop by and check it out if you don't have a church home of your own. Okay, uh, just a, a couple of minor things, and then we're going to, well, this is not minor, but it's not at the top of the news, let's put it that way. And then I want to spend some time talking about um, the Silic- uh, Silicon Valley bank failure. We didn't really talk about that at all yesterday. And uh, so I want to spend some time with it today now that I've had time to sort of study it, take some notes, because banking is not my thing. Uh, I don't do the banking at our house. I know that, that some of you may think that's a masculine thing that I, that I should uh, be leaning into the banking, but uh, actually my sweet wife is the one that's really good with the numbers and she she does all of that. So when it comes to banking, I have to sort of sit down, think, look, read, absorb, so that I can say something intelligent to you about it. And I kind of like to be intelligent when I speak. So... Um, anyway, but I want to start by letting you know that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was released from the hospital yesterday afternoon after being admitted last week following an incident where he fell. Now, this is this is going to be um, he's he's he got a concussion from his fall, so he's the concussion recovery, according to the doctors, is going well. But during the treatment over the weekend, they found a cracked rib. Or uh, actually, the rib was broken. It was a minor fracture, but um, it was the rib was was broken, n- not just cracked. And so they're going to be taking him to an inpatient rehab facility for a little while. And partially, that's to kind of help him to regain his balance. He's 81 years old, and he tripped during a reception and dinner last week for the Senate Leadership Fund, which is a political action committee designed to elect Republicans to the upper chamber, and it was at the Waldorf Astoria in Washington. McConnell is a polio survivor, and I don't know how many people know that. Look, I, I know a lot of people don't like Mitch McConnell, and I, I guess I understand that. I have I think that he's done a lot in the United States Senate. Um, his single best effort, I think, was when Merrick Garland was prevented from getting consideration to be on the United States Supreme Court. And that that opened up the door for President Trump to appoint three conservative Supreme Court justices, which has radically altered uh, the direction of the court back toward the Constitution and away from woke progressive policies and interpretations. So that, I mean, he he deserves kudos just for that. Uh, but there have been other things that McConnell has done that I think has been significant in his leadership of the Senate. He's now the longest-serving uh, leader in the United States Senate. Um, but he's also a polio survivor. I don't—I don't know how many people know knew that. I don't know that I knew that. Um, and because he's he survived polio, he suffers injuries sometimes related to his balance issues. And that includes a fractured shoulder that he had four years ago when he fell at his home in Kentucky. So, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of curious of all of all the things that we know about Mitch McConnell, all the things that have been said and written. I don't remember seeing much about him being a polio survivor. Now, maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe everybody else in the world knew this and I missed it somehow, but. You know, in the criticism that gets leveled at him about him falling, I wonder if anybody's ever stopped to think, well, maybe if you survive polio, you might have balance issues too, which is part of the reason he's going into inpatient rehab to help him regain some of his balance uh, so that he can uh, maybe avoid falls in the future. But we have had a spate of hospitalizations of senators I mean, you've got Diane Feinstein. She was hospital last week in, in the hospital last week in San Francisco after she was diagnosed with shingles. Uh, she's now back home recovering. And then, of course, John Fetterman uh, is also in the hospital. He checked himself into a mental health hospital on the night of February 15th at the recommendation of the attending physician of the U.S. Congress after experiencing symptoms of severe depression. NBC News reported that Fetterman was expected to be hospitalized for weeks. The New York Times reported in February that Fetterman was struggling with serious mental health issues and that he cannot understand the words that others are saying to him after suffering a stroke last year that nearly nearly killed him. Uh, yeah, kudos to Fetterman's family for pushing him into the United States Senate when he should have been all about recovering from a stroke that almost took his life. So, way to, way to elevate politics above human suffering and above everything else. Uh, to me, that's the real shame of this story. But in any event, Fetterman's still in the hospital. So, not a great day for the United States Senate in terms of health. Um, for those of you listening this morning, first segment, just be aware his radio talk, 919897 9, is going to undergo a change on March 31st. And we are, we are headed headlong into that date. That is Gary Miller's retirement date. And um, after that, this radio station is going to be music format, not talk radio. So the talk radio programs that you listen to are either going to go away or they're going to have to find another place. Now, what we're going to do here with Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam is we're going to change the name and we're finding another place. That place is going to be drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. And when you go there, you will, not yet, but they're getting close. In fact, we may have the website up by the weekend. Um, I'm going to do some training on Thursday night on the new podcasting equipment, connecting it to the website and so forth. So um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that By we get into the last week of March, I'm going to be somewhat up to speed on this stuff. But in any event, that's where you'll find the show. It'll be streaming live on the website. You'll also be able to read news about what's going on politically in South Carolina. You'll be able to read news about uh, the national scene, my commentary about it. And uh, I write a column for the Baptist Courier every month. Those columns will be uh, found at the website and so it's going to be it's going to be a good thing. You're going to be able to download the podcast. You, there'll be a link there. You can download the podcast that I'll do right from the website. And I'm going to broadcast live from 7:30 to 8:30 on Facebook and Rumble. And um, you can you can follow me that way. And then you can and it'll be on the website. And then you can download the podcast later on. Uh, when you're when it's posted and you'd like to listen to it at your leisure, so the show's going to go on. The show must go on at least for a little while. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to do it um, as long as I feel good and my you know age doesn't seem to be slowing me down a whole lot. I'm I'm going to try to keep my mind sharp and keep commenting on things. That uh, you know the thing about age is you get wisdom. You just don't have the energy to share it. Sometimes. So I'm going to try to keep those things rolling forward. Um, So just mark your calendar March 31st, last day here, April 3rd, first day of listening to the show at Dr. Tony Beam, drtonybeam.com, and um, then downloading the podcast. Name of the show is going to be Truth and Politics and Culture. With Doctor Tony Beam, so I um, hope you'll enjoy that. Today we're having a press conference at eleven o'clock. I'm going to be ski daddling out of here pretty quick as soon as nine o'clock rolls around, so that I can get down to the state house. I'm supposed to pray uh, to kind of kick things off with the press conference. It's mostly well, it's all women. It's women talking about abortion and why they are pro-life to try to push the South Carolina Senate toward passing H three seven seven four. Now, I wrote a uh, column, I finished my column for the April edition of The Baptist Courier last night and sent it in, and uh, just just some amazing things that I I put in there that I discovered in doing a little bit of research. You know, we we saved a lot of babies' lives from 1988 to 2020. If you compare, in 1988, we had well over 14,000 abortions in a single year. And by 1988, we're down, we are down – we actually dropped down below 5,000. But then uh, – I mean, not 1988. That's when the peak was, the 14,000. In 2020, we actually dropped down uh, to uh, just over 5,000, about 5,300, and then – you know, in in a couple of years prior to 2020, we were down under 5,000 abortions, and a lot of that has to do with the growth of crisis pregnancy centers that are providing services for women so that they feel like they don't have to have an abortion. Uh, a lot of that has to do with legislation that got passed, where uh, people, you know, we we couldn't abortions were not just easy so easy to get. But you know, I in this in this article I asked the question: Is South Carolina a pro-life state? And the answer to that question right now is no. Uh, we're an abortion destination state because you can have an abortion up to 22 weeks gestation. So we're we're a place where, according to those uh, brave souls, people called by God to do so standing outside the abortion clinics trying to intervene as women go in is the last line of of really compassion, trying to talk to them, to convince them that there's another decision that can be made. According to them, about half of the uh, cars that are going into abortion clinics now are from out of state. And it's because we're at 22 weeks. And by the way, while we were saving over two hundred and three thousand babies' lives from nineteen eighty-eight to twenty twenty by reducing steadily the number of abortions in South Carolina, we aborted almost two hundred eighty-eight thousand babies, and that is uh, close to double the population of the largest city in South Carolina, which is Charleston. So you you know you might you might just want to think about those things, and you can read about them along with my other comments in the Baptist Courier when it comes out in April. Okay, last week, and I don't know that there's enough being said about this in terms of the impact uh, overall, but just think about this statement that I'm about to make to you. Last week, the lar- we saw the largest bank failure in U.S. history. Excuse me, the second largest. First largest, of course, uh, came... During uh, 2000, what was it, 2008, 2007, 2008, along in there when we, you know, President Bush famously said that people were going to go to ATMs and there just wasn't going to be any money if the federal government didn't do something, didn't do a massive bailout of the financial sector, which um, a lot of people were critical of, but others who said, look, there was nothing else we could do here. Uh, we were about to have a total financial system failure. Well, following the collapse of Silicon Valley Valley Bank last week, you had the collapse of Signature Bank. and We're going to talk about both of those, what caused them to fail. They're similar, but there are some differences. And that sent a ripple through the banking industry that rattled the markets and caused anywhere from mild concern to outright panic over what was going to happen next, and we still don't know the answer to that. You know, when a bank like Silicon Valley Bank, which is it's not like it's Wells Fargo or uh, Bank America or something like that, um, but it it was a it was a large bank that had about uh, oh, oh two hundred billion dollars in deposits, and it, it what of course what happens when a bank like that goes belly up or is not able to Uh, hand out the cash that its depositors have put in is it affects it affects businesses because and a lot of the businesses associated with Silicon Valley Bank were tech businesses tech startups and and so you can have this ripple effect throughout the economy and as these businesses begin to fail um, you get panic from other people who go to their bank and want to get their money out from their bank. Even though their bank doesn't seem to be in any trouble, they're worried when they hear about bank failures and the possibility of it failing. And then you get a run on the banks, and you get a big financial mess. So the government stepped in pretty quick and is trying to keep all that from happening. But let's back up here. Why did Silicon Valley Bank fail? Well, in the the short explanation is... Actions by the federal government that totally mismanaged the financial sector. And that begins with the government causing inflation by pumping trillions of dollars into the system. That, that's where when we, we had COVID relief, which, you know, pretty much everybody understood at first – that there had to be money pumped into the economy, loans to help businesses stay afloat when you shut people's businesses down. And I've often described it as when you drive a truck through somebody's business, then you've got to come in and help them pick up the pieces or you're going to destroy the economy. So the federal government was the truck driver. They shut down all these businesses. And then they began to pour out a lot of cash. And then after the businesses began to recover, along comes President Biden and decides that, hey, I'm just going to be Santa Claus. You know, the federal government had a, a, a purpose in trying to save the economy from going belly up. But I'm just going to come along and hand out a few trillion more dollars just because I can and because that's the progressive way. We just we just want people to be able to um you know, swim in money, federal money that we don't have because the federal government's pretty much a Ponzi scheme. I mean, when it comes to $31 trillion in a national debt, which we can't even imagine that amount of money. I mean, it's it's unimaginable. And when I think about, you know, when I think about the federal government and spending money, I, I think about the Mandalorian. I, I don't know how many of you are Mandalorian fans, but uh, Disney Plus has got the Mandalorian streaming again, season three, and it's just it's just the it's the best Star Wars stuff ever put ever put on film. Film, I'm telling you, it's better to me than the Star Wars movies. It's just really good. I I love the story of the Mandalorian, and of course, the Mandalorians all live by a code, and the Mandalorian code is th- what drives their life and um even though they're scattered all over the universe because their planets being been destroyed by the Empire, uh, they're you know, they they're, they're an, an amazing bunch. Um but there's this point in in the the movie, I mean in the TV shows, the series, when they look at each other as Mandalorians and say, This is the way. You know, and it's this is the way. And and that means Usually it's they've repeated something or said something that relates to the Mandalorian creed. And then they'll say, this is the way. I mean, you know, that's the government. I want to see say that the federal government is doing the same thing when they do something progressive, when woke companies, corporations, banks, schools— when, when progressives go out into society and do stupid stuff, things that just make absolutely no common sense whatsoever, I just get this feeling that they look at each other and have this eye-contact moment where they go, this is the way. The way of what? The way of destruction, of the American way of life, by a bunch of progressives. So, anyway... The federal government pours out trillions and trillions of dollars and creates inflation. So to cool the rampant record inflation, then the feds start raising interest rates in a hurry. According to the Wall Street Journal, Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group, the parent company of Silicon Valley Bank, which counts many startups and venture capital funds as clients, SVB Financial had about a had about 200 billion dollars in deposits by the end of the first quarter of 2022. In 2020, they had about 60 billion dollars. So think think about that. From from 2020 to 2022, they increased deposits from 60 billion to 200 billion. That's that's unbelievable. I mean, that is that's some that's some growth right there now. And, of course, it, the questions began to fly, how were they able to do that? Was that really smart money management? Turns out it wasn't very smart. Um, in 2020, they had deposits of $60 billion. Between 2020 and 2022, the federal government threw gobs of cash out the door to anyone who would pick it up. You know, I, I think about that scene in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when uh, you know Butch uses a little bit too much dynamite to blow the safe, and money is just drifting down from the sky. And of course, while the posse that was on the train is bearing down on them, they're trying to pick up money off of the ground. Well, that's essentially what the federal government did. They just they just started blowing money, gobs of cash, into the into the uh, into the system. And as a result of that, a lot of that money went to big tech companies. Uh, this turned into a tech boom, which really kind of migrated into a tech bubble because the, the way that the tech technological sector of the economy was growing, it was never going to be able to sustain itself once all this these gobs of money, once they picked up as much money as they could carry and got shot by the posse that was ch- chasing them because they were taking so much time to pick up the money the same thing kind of happened with the tech companies and the bubble started to burst so when we last were visiting with silicon valley bank we were talking about the tech bubble because people with all these gobs of cash that the federal government was throwing out the door was they were investing in these tech companies and the tech companies were exploding in growth and they were being highly overvalued because of that you know people start piling money into a company and that company seems to have much more value than it can actually back up by the number of goods and services or whatever it is that they're offering to the public. So what did the tech companies do? They've got these gobs of cash that people have brought in the door. So the tech industry invested their money in banks like Silicon Valley Bank. And that created a problem for the bank. See, all this money you know, we think it's just it's great, great stuff until we realize that what we do with it then can determine either big-time success or big-time failure. Well, banks don't make money by locking the money that they have up behind a complicated vault system. They make money by lending out the money to other ventures or they buy bonds or stocks and in other words they invest the money to make money for their clients but also are their depositors but to also obviously make money for the bank banks got to make money that's what it's there for it not only holds your money but it uses your money while it's in the bank to make more money and in many cases make you money depending on how your money is invested in the bank. But Silicon Valley Bank started out by buying safe assets. They bought tens of billions of dollars of long-term U.S. Treasury bonds and government-backed mortgage securities. Now both of those are considered to be safe investments uh, because usually they're rated at about 10 years and let's say you're getting four percent interest, but it's guaranteed. I mean, it's 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 uh it's backed by the government. It's it's the treasury bonds are um, are gonna you know hold their value at least in a, in a normal market. But that caused Silicon Valley Bank for the portfolio of Silicon Valley Bank because of they invested these tens of billions in these bonds and in and in the mortgage backed securities. Uh, the portfolio rose from. To about 27 billion dollars from the first quarter of 2020 to 128 billion by the end of 2021. So in about, in, in about a year and a half, uh, they just I mean they exploded in assets. The bank had on paper, they had all those at, these assets, but they were a lot of them were invested in these mortgage-backed securities, government mortgage-backed securities and bonds. So that should have been pretty safe. I mean, you know, when you think about the way a Treasury, for example, the way a U.S. Treasury bond works, you take about $950 and you buy, uh, because you've got fees, but you buy a bond that's worth about $1,000 that comes to maturity in 10 years. And that that means that your rate of return is going to be a few percentage points. Now, the problem is this. If interest rates increase dramatically, the value of your bond drops dramatically. Now, why is that? You would think, well, you know, oh, interest rates are going up. My bond rate is going to, nope, your bond rate is frozen at the rate that it was when you bought it. So if it was 4% and interest rates are now 7 8%, then you're stuck with a 4% yield bond and there's an interest rate increase and the government starts issuing bonds at 7% and so the market for your bond that, that, um, that will earn you, a, is going to earn you a lot lower rate becomes worthless because you can go to another bank and get a brand new bond issued by the government that's going to earn you a greater yield. So the bonds that you bought at 4% you decide I've got to have a fire sale because I'm going to have to discount. I'm going to have to unload these bonds in order to be able to have enough cash to keep capitalizing all my investors. And then what if my investors show up and all want their money? I, I've got all my cash out in the investment market, and I can't sell it for enough money to cover the the money that the investors have in the bank. So, f So, so basically... Silicon Valley Bank Financial thought they were being smart, but what they failed to do was take into consideration market indicators that pointed toward a swift rising of interest rates. You know, anybody could have seen this coming. When inflation began to heat up, most banks, most investment houses, they, they began to, to look at what was happening and they said, well, higher interest rates are coming. They have to be coming because there's, there's no other choice. The Fed's going to have to cool off inflation, and the only way you can do that is with higher interest rates. The thing is, the Fed got really aggressive, and they, you know, where these banks thought, ah, they won't, they won't raise more than a tenth quarter of a point, they're raising it by half a point at a time, and that just becomes untenable for the banks. The bond holdings dropped, and that caused a run on the bank at a time when all of the banks investable assets were in low yield bonds. So they, like I said, they had to sell the bonds at a loss to cover the people who wanted their money, and the bank failed because they couldn't cover it. The stock of Silicon Valley Bank dropped 87% in a day. Uh, The price on bonds declined when the bank bought the bonds because of the interest rate increases. And at the same time, the bank stopped getting new funds from the bonds. The tech companies they financed were burning through cash at an extraordinary rate. So you had the double whammy. The value of the bonds they invested in was lowering, was going down. The tech companies wanted more money from the bank because they were – burning through a lot of their cash. So for about two years, if you were a company seeking, seeking capital, if, if you had a startup company and you wanted to have money to put into your venture, you would go and get bought up by something called an S SPAC. Now, I'm going to tell you more than I know about S PACs, Okay. But as I understand it, an SPAC is a publicly traded company that doesn't really have any content. It's just a slush fund that you would buy, and then you would become a publicly traded company. So you, the, the SPAC, you, you and the SPAC come together. You provide the content. Uh, SPAC provides the slush money, the, 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 the money, the account. So when all the money dried up, The SPAC companies that had been burning through cash at a fever pace started losing money when interest rates increased and people stopped spending as much money. So all the investments dried up and everyone went to the bank to draw down their balance and the bank didn't have the money because they couldn't sell their bonds fast enough to cover their depositors. The bank sold um Silicon Valley Bank sold about $21 billion in bonds and lost $1.8 billion once all the the taxes and fees and everything were paid. So they tried to sell stock to raise they wanted to raise $2.5 billion in assets to try to protect some of the losses and pay off some of the people that were coming in to try to withdraw their money. But the run on the bank was on and by the end of the week. Customers tried to collectively withdraw, listen to this, $42 billion. That's a third of all the money that um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank had at any one time. And see, here's the thing. the, The bank doesn't have that money sitting there, like I said, hidden behind the vault. To think that they would have $42 billion that they could pay out, no, that money's out somewhere. And when they couldn't sell the bonds fast enough to cover it, that's when the bank went under. Uh, there were other banks affected because other banks were invested in Silicon Valley Bank. The run on Signature Bank took that bank under and then threatened Republic Bank, but they halted the stock and bond sales and also the deposit payouts to, uh, to people in time to save Republic Bank. But Signature Bank went, other, went under with Silicon Valley. So the federal government. What what are they going to do now? How how are they going to fix this? Because that's you know we've gotten to the point that the federal government fixes everything, right? I mean, that, we have a problem. The federal government shows up. If no matter what the problem is, the answer is the federal government. Which means that more and more and more of our, the federalism that made America great, where the states become a, a petri dish, a, sort of an experimental area where they find out what works in particular states and then pursue that for their own prosperity. That Those days are, are coming to an end. We've got a centralized federal government that is so strong, they now are the ones who step in and fix everybody's problems. It's the, They're the sugar daddy so they're going to bail out individual investors now when president biden made a speech about this he was very careful and and so was janet yellen and so was everybody else in the administration they never used the term bailout um so if you know when you go up to a bank to deposit money or take money out you'll see an fdic sticker and it says that your deposits are covered up to $250,000 um if you if you have deposits in that bank and the bank goes under you can get $250,000 of your money back but instead of doing that the FDIC is actually going to reimburse everybody who lost money not the investors not the stockholders not 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 the those people but the people who individually had money in the bank and needed to withdraw money to make payroll Essentially, the federal government came in, took over Silicon Valley Bank, created a different bank funded by the federal government, and it's going to make sure everybody's deposits get covered. But that's way more than $250,000. I mean, you can imagine these tech companies, it takes a lot more than $250,000 to finance a, a big tech company. So most people who are running, uh, that, therefore most people running companies, are in debt a lot more than that amount and the fed the fed's going to make up the difference between the 250,000 and whatever the depositor had but the stockholders and the outside investors they can go pound sand they're they're not going to ba uh they're not going to bail them out they're going to let them feel the consequences where's the uh, fed, feds getting the money well, now that's the thing. They they say they're not going to the taxpayers, which is another reason this is a bailout. They're actually shifting money around that they've got in the banking system to cover this uh, to to cover the Silicon Valley investors. Um, they're the and so they the bondholders, the stockholders. They're out. The depositors get their money back. They're making sure all the customers get the money they had deposited, no matter how much. And then they're letting the management of the bank go. Let's think about it this way: banks and investment companies, and I mean people who invest in the stock market, they make money by taking a manageable amount of risk. I mean, you know, it's the old, you know, the old saying: "No risk, no gain." You know, no, um, there, there's no risk, no reward. Yeah. Well. Okay, no risk, no reward. Just to have two R words in there. But there's the the bottom line is that if you don't take some risk, um, if your money just sits there, you're not going to make any money. Uh, You can uh, you can buy um, a treasury bond, or you can buy a bank bond, or you can buy. I mean, and you can say it's they'll say uh, 18 months. You get an 18 month bond or certificate of deposit (CD). And in 18 months, your money is going to be guaranteed to give you two percent, or two and a half percent, or maybe now as much as three percent. Now that's guaranteed, but that's not much money. I mean, think about it: you put ten thousand dollars in a CD, ten um, percent of that in 18 months is going to be a thousand bucks. Two or three percent is going to be a few hundred bucks. So that you're not really you're not going to get rich unless you've got a whole lot of money to put in CDs. But they're safe. You're also not going to lose very much money. So it's about risk, and as Gary said, risk and reward. Um, If the banks have no risk, then they basically can risk as much as they want. There's no reason to manage their risks. And if Silicon Valley Bank can go out and take these chances, ignore market signals, make bad decisions, and then the federal government step in and pay off all of their depositors, then where's where's the consequences that keep you from taking unwise risk, to engage in really risky behavior that can bring the whole thing crashing down? If there's no risk, Banks are going to go haywire. And, and banks that are regulated, there's got to be somebody on board to make sure that the banks are adhering to the regulations that get passed. Dodd-Frank was supposed to prevent anything from this happening, keep this from happening. And it, it can keep it from happening if there are people minding the store. But it doesn't matter how many, how many laws you pass it. It doesn't matter how many regulations you put in place if you don't have people to pay attention to them, then it doesn't it, it, it those laws are not going to magically manifest themselves without somebody managing them. So, consider this. Silicon Valley Bank had no chief risk officer between April 2022 and January 2023. They didn't have anybody minding the store. The risk committee had no members experienced in risk management. That's no way to run a bank, especially a bank that's investing in high-risk startup tech companies. If that's where you're putting all the money out, somebody's got to be sitting there going, oh, can't make this loan. It's, it, you, you've got this risk is exposed over here. You're going to have to balance the risk you've got over here by making safe investments over here. So the British Parliament dealt with this dereliction by passing a senior managers and certificate regime in 2013, or regimen I should say I guess, and applied it to the banking sector in in 2013, applied it to the banking system in 2016. So U.K. law places personal responsibility on top executives. It's a criminal offense to make a decision that leads to the failure of an institution with penalties of unlimited fines and or up to seven years in prison. So once you put risk managers in place in the U.K., then they're highly motivated to be careful with the way they invest or allow a bank to invest because they could actually suffer penalties. See, the management of Silicon Valley Bank, they're out, but they're not really out. Those guys started selling their assets a few weeks before the bank collapsed, and they're walking away with millions of dollars. Now, they don't don't have the bank anymore, but big whoop. I mean, somebody comes along and says, G- go sell your assets today, and you can walk with $5 million, uh, the bank's going to fall apart in a few months or a few weeks anyway. I, what kind of fool would not take that deal? So left to their own devices, this is from Daily Signal, by the way, um, in in a column today, left to their own devices, if there are no consequences, banks will take unnecessary risk with depositors funds, but not with their own funds. So if the government's going to bail out banks, it has to enforce existing laws that keep them solvent. Now, listen to this part of the story. This is where progressive woke ideology steps in to hasten the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. While neglecting critical risk management, the bank's 2023 proxy statement records 40 mentions of the environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, movement currently in vogue at many corporations and financial institutions. In a key change, the board expanded the Governance and Corporate Responsibility Committee's oversight role in ESG. The committee's oversight includes, according to the proxy statement, environmental sustainability, climate change, the company's external diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives, board diversity, as well as our philanthropic strategy and advocacy Activities. So, in other words, they they went out and and hired someone who got on to be the diversity officer, and the diversity officer was making all the decisions for Silicon Bank. So it wasn't based on sound investment. This person wasn't interested in whether or not they weren't thinking about interest rates and whether bonds that were bought that were going to yield four percent were going to be worthless when the interest rate got up to seven and a half percent no they were they were worried about how many lgbtq plus you know companies were getting money they were they were worried about equity diversity environmental issues climate change the, the whole progressive smorgasbord and when all of their focus went on that the bank went belly up now as you as you can see banks don't go belly up for one reason there are multiple reasons. But this was a perfect storm, all driven by progressive policy. It was progressive policy that caused the federal government to pump $2 trillion more into the economy when they should have been pulling back. That progressive policy led to record inflation. So then to fight inflation, they come up with quick, uh, a fast rise in interest rates. On top of that, you've got... The banks that are supposed to have risk managers in place that instead have diversity officers, the risk managers who would have been telling the banks, look, you, you, you've you got, you know, the risk manager would have sent a memo, talked to the president, the board of directors. Look, you've got an, an obvious rise in interest rates coming, so you better be about the business of making sure that we get, we sell bonds before the bottom drops out so that we can continue to capitalize those that have uh, deposits in our bank and capitalize the businesses that we're supporting. But no, you've got a diversity officer running the bank that is not paying any attention. They don't even have any experience in risk management. All of their experience comes in making sure that everybody feels warm and fuzzy about the environment and about how many LGBTQ plus stand, capital letter, lowercase letter. I mean, uh, how many of those people are being satisfied? I, it's, it, it, you put all that together, and you get a major bank failure. And then, of course, right behind that was Signature Bank. Signature Bank also failed. And the story of the signature bank failure, we'll get into that in the next hour after we talk to Drew McKissick. We're going to have Drew McKissick on the show to talk about the South Carolina Republican Party, what's going on nationally. But mainly today we're going to talk about REORG because the two-year reorganization at the precinct level of the Republican Party is coming up this Saturday in many places. Um, not everybody's going to reorganize this Saturday, but a lot of, a lot of counties will. And then um, as, as we get deeper into March and into April, we're going to see more reorganizations and makeup meetings and we'll explain about how all that works. And then people are going to be going to the county, uh, party meetings to elect delegates to the state party that's going to elect the chairman who currently is Drew McKissick. They're going to talk to right after news. Stay with us.